Football MX Network production. Josie's on a vacation far away. Come around and talk it over. So many things that I want to say. A new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's Industry Seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires, Fly Racing, Blends All Racing Motor Oil, Works Connection, Plum Creek Funding, 612 Suspension, Fast Foundry, and Pro Glow. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Industry Seating. This is Jason Thomas, your host. It is Sunday afternoon. I just flew back all day from Daytona. That's a long flight. Been doing that a few weeks in a row here now with Orlando and Daytona. Takes it out of you. I uh, had to get up at, what, 3.30 this morning in uh, Daytona, which is, what, 1.30 Boise time. Flew all morning, two connections. Uh, whatever. Not, I don't, I don't expect anybody to feel sympathy for me, have a pretty great life, but, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely a little tired today dragging, but we're going to talk about Daytona. First, I want to thank the sponsors of this podcast, Pirelli Tires, Guts Racing, Pump Creek Funding, Fast Foundry, Works Connection, Blenzol Oils, Risk Racing, Premier Vapor Blasting of Georgia, 612 Suspension, Pro Glow Wash, Grant Stone Boots, and Fly Racing. I will have some promo codes for you guys. I've been trying to leave those in every show. So if you do want to go and support the sponsors, you have a way to save yourself some money in the process. So I'll have a section where I cover some promo codes and a little bit of information on each of the great sponsors. So immediately jumping into Daytona, we got super lucky with the weather. And I mean lucky. There was a 100% chance of rain going into the, the race day of Saturday. And it did rain, to be fair. It did rain, but not when it counted. Uh, I, I was really most worried that we would get the torrential Florida downpours that I grew up with. You know, I lived in Florida until I was 32 or something like that, 33 maybe. And rain in Florida is no joke. You get these passing showers that maybe only last an hour, but you get an inch of rain in that hour. And that can completely destroy a racetrack from which there would have been no coming back from. The the track was not covered. So it was going to be subject to whatever weather arrived. And we got very lucky throughout the night. There was no rain. It did rain about 30 minutes, an hour north. Uh, My parents uh, live most of the year an hour north of Daytona. And it was pouring throughout the entire night's racing of the show. So dodged a bullet. We dodged a bullet at Orlando one with that big rain that came in the morning. If that had come a few hours later, it would have been a very bad scene. So yeah, let's, let's continue to keep dodging these. I I don't know if we're going to, we're going to miss all of it, right? We have five more outdoor events to do three in Atlanta and two in Salt Lake. So can we keep this streak of luck going? I, I don't know. You know, maybe we'll get one mud race in there. Maybe we'll get perfect weather throughout. Of course, I would choose the perfect weather. To me, there is no upside to a mud race. I don't think that anybody wins in that scenario as far as better than a normal dry, great race day. 
but time will tell. Now, as for the racing, the 250 class will cover first. What a weird night for Justin Cooper. And if you look at his afternoon, everything was set up for him to go win this race. And, and I predicted it. Uh, if you guys, any of you are interested, I do a Patreon podcast every race day morning. So I did that on Saturday morning, which was yesterday. And it's a part of patreon.com and it's slash industry seating. You can check out. Uh, and it's really just a preview of the next day's race or that, that night's race, really. Last minute information, fantasy advice, rumors I heard, you know, Thursday, Friday after I've arrived at the event and just trying to steer you guys in the right direction. You know, there was uh, a few injuries that had popped up. Cooper was a little sore. Uh, Zach Osborne was out. Brayton was out. Uh, Marvin had a hand injury that was really underreported. So those are the kind of things I, I try to share at the last minute that maybe we just miss, you know, pulp shows on, on Monday, fantasy podcast, Wednesday. Uh, the last one we do is moto 60 on Thursday. And sometimes things happen even after that, or we don't hear about them until we're at the race and sitting around at dinner with people that are inside the industry. And, and they share little tidbits like that. It's a great opportunity for me to share that stuff with all of you. Again, it's, it's really cheap. I think it's anywhere from, you know, three to $10 a month or whatever, but certainly helps me uh, you know, support the podcast, buy equipment, do all those things. So anyway, Justin Cooper, I think everything was set up for him to really kind of start to step away in this series. You know, I, he was the fastest guy in qualifying, which we all expected. He looked fantastic. I was watching him on uh, kind of on the big screen because I was over in the, the fly racing activation area, but he just looked phenomenal and, and the lap times back that up. So I had zero reason to think that he wasn't going to run away with that main event and lead every single lap. Now, once he blew two starts in the heat race, you know, they, one of them got red flagged. I started to wonder a little bit and fantasy wise, I had picked him as my all-star and I also picked him for the first of the finish line and neither of those really worked out. And I don't know if it was just a situation where he was just off on the starts. Uh, I, I saw he made an Instagram post on his way home today and he didn't have a whole lot of information to share other than just the starts were the story for him. And that's, that's really strange for Justin Cooper to struggle with starts. And so for the main event, I watched him. He was the only person I was watching on the, uh, the launch from the starting gate and he completely blew it. He didn't get a good jump and then he kind of went sideways and it was over. Once that happens and you have to, whether you have to let off or you just don't get the drive, you get moved over on by someone to your left, or your right, and then you're done. Like you have to let off at that point and then you're, you're mired mid pack. He did make a couple quick moves in the first corner. Uh, he, he rode through the middle of the start straightaway and then shot into the outside of the second corner. And it looked pretty good for him, but then he got squeezed going into the second corner and ended up tangling with a tough block and going down. So he was like seventh or so as he posted and then went to last. Uh, and that really, you know, kind of cut out his work for him, to use a cliche. But he, he did ride well past that. You know, he's, he got back to fourth, not terrible, but, you know, he, he's missing Jeremy Martin out of the series, which, you know, I think J-Mart would have probably run away with that and, you know, disrespect to, to Cameron McAdoo, which we'll get to. But I just felt like Justin Cooper left a lot on the table. He has now opened the door to the rest of his competition, most notably Cameron McAdoo. And while I still think he's the best rider in this series, and I still think he's the overwhelming series favorite, he didn't do himself any favors in Daytona. You know, he empowered 
Cameron McAdoo, confidence-wise and points-wise, and really anyone else who fancies themselves as still a championship contender, they have new life now. You know, if Justin Cooper had gone out and run away again, I think everybody would have kind of hung their heads a little bit thinking that they're in for a long series here when, when having to deal with, with Justin. And that still could be the case. You know, I still have him as a, a big favorite to be your champ, but it certainly feels a little different than it did leaving Orlando. You know, it just felt like a foregone conclusion that Cooper was going to run, run away. It doesn't necessarily feel that way now. You know, I'm trying to look past that and look through a cloudy situation of him having a bad night and say, okay, who's the best rider? Who gets the best starts? Who's the most experienced? And all those things point me back to Justin Cooper solidly. So I'm going to stay there. I'm going to say that he still runs away with this thing, but he certainly missed an opportunity and allowed new life into guys that were maybe starting to wonder if they had a shot at this thing. As for Cameron McAdoo, unbelievable ride. Great job from him. You know, all he can do is race and take advantage of the opportunities in front of him. He did exactly that. You know, it wasn't some dominant ride. Sure. He won good for him. Nothing should be taken away from him, but you know, he had to go chase down styles Robertson. Who's in his second supercross ever, you know, and, and there really wasn't any pressure from behind him. Cameron just had to go do what he's capable of doing. He didn't have to step out of his comfort zone. He didn't have to put in some miraculous heroic effort to win. I felt like he just rode the race that he's expected and capable of. And the win was there for him. And maybe that there, maybe there will be more opportunities for him just doing that. You know, if Amart has a bad night and Justin Cooper gets bad starts and, you know, we don't see Jeremy Martin to outdoors or whatever the situation is, maybe that's all that whackers, as they say, will have to do. And that's fine. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. But I will be interested to see if Justin Cooper and McAdoo get out together, who has what. And in that scenario, I think, I think that Justin Cooper has more. But, hey, that's why they run the races. That's going to be proven out. We're going to get to see exactly who has the speed and who's going to go win this title. Styles Robertson, what a ride. Second place in your second race ever. Really impressive. He was fast in qualifying, so that should have given us a hint that he was going to be on it. But, really, it was the start. You know, he put himself in a great position early in the race and then things are just so much easier. Now being able to pull away at the beginning and setting yourself up with a nice lead. And then you really just have to deal with McAdoo. Well, that's, you know, that's a credit to styles for having the speed and the, uh, the poise to be able to focus and take off in that scenario. But remember, you know, styles Robertson, amateur phenom, he's won a lot of big races in his career amateur on an amateur level. So you give him a whole shot. He knows what to do. He knows what to do from the front, regardless of who he's racing against. And he did exactly that. He, he, he performed like he's done this a million times. Like he's been in that scenario a million times. And I think if you can wrap your mind around the fact that, Hey, it's just another race and I'm out front and I got to go. And you can, you can remove all the, you know, the cameras and the television and the the big stage and Daytona and all, if you can take all that out of your brain, you know, don't worry about the crowd, you know, which there wasn't a whole lot of people there, which helps. And you just focus on what you have to do. You just put yourself at the practice track doing those laps. Then it kind of starts to come easy. And that that's a much easier said than done. I get it, but I can understand how in that scenario you can do it. And, and I've been there in my own career. I, I know how that goes 
through your mind. You just have to block all that out and just worry about what you're doing. The rest of it will take care of itself. If you hit your marks, that's a you know road racing term, but you just do what you're supposed to do and what you've trained yourself to do, everything else will go well. And that's what he did. He brought it home in second. Phenomenal ride from him. And we'll see, is this the start of something for him? You know, it was a big breakout ride. It's, it's only his second Supercross ever. He really didn't do a whole lot to write home about in last year's, you know, his debut in Lucas Hall Promotercross. It wasn't anything phenomenal. It was okay, but it wasn't great. This was great. So let's see if he can uh, ride that momentum and uh, bring that same level into Arlington. Pierce Brown, third place. What a ride. I mean, I keep saying what a ride, which is terrible radio, but again, I didn't think Pierce Brown was going to get third. You know, he rode really well at a few races in Salt Lake, but then last summer was atrocious. I mean, terrible. It was, he was DNFing the races. He did finish. were not good at all. So for him to come back off of that summer and come into his first race, missing the first round in Orlando too, clearly he wasn't ready yet. He comes and gets third at Daytona. That's, that's a really positive sign. Good for him. He needed that. He needed that positive reinforcement for his confidence, for those who are paying his bills to be like, yeah, we're onto something here. Like this, this was a good investment. All the, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars we've, we have directed towards this kid in his amateur career. This is going to pay off for us. So I like Pierce Brown. I know a lot of people that are close with him and have been close with him growing up. And I'm happy for all those people to see that all the, you know, fruits of your labor start to pay off and you see where his career can go. It's a pretty cool feeling. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there, you know, it's a great Sunday for everybody involved. And honestly, just, it's just another guy that can be in podium contention, which is great for what's been otherwise a really horrific 250 year across the board in both coasts. Amart, uh, man, when he started second there, I was, you know, he had styles Robertson in front of him a rookie. I didn't really expect styles to stay there. I'm like, Ooh, Jmart, Jmart might win this. Like everything's set up for him. Wackers is behind him. Hunter's back there, you know, not too far, but behind him. Justin Cooper is the biggest threat is way back. So why wouldn't, why wouldn't Alex Martin win this race is what I'm thinking on like the second lap. And the only thing I could think of is he just wasn't quite back from that injury. He suffered at Orlando as a head injury. I'm sure he didn't do a lot. I'm sure he didn't ride much, you know, coming out of a concussion after being unconscious like that, all you're trying to do is get back to normal. You really don't want to get your heart rate up at all for several days afterwards. So I'm sure he was a bit rusty and I don't want to say second guessing himself, but you just don't have the same level of intensity in my opinion, coming off of something like that, that you would pre-injury. So going into Arlington, I think you'll see him get better and better. I think he probably shook a lot of the rust off. He also got run over. I can't remember who ran him over. Somebody ran him over uh, his leg over in practice. So maybe that was bugging him a little bit as well but he just wasn't very sharp. He just didn't have that same Amart tenacity that I was used to, because I think if you put the Alex Martin from last summer into that same spot on Saturday night, I think Alex Martin wins that race going away like pretty easily. And uh, that's certainly not what we saw from Amart. So better days ahead for Amart. Uh, I'm sure he is bumming a little bit today because he understands he let one get away there. That that was a prime opportunity for at minimum a podium. And I really believe it was a prime opportunity for him to win. Hunter Lawrence. 
I thought he was coming, man. He looked really good. He wins that heat race. He gets up there on the start of the main event, and he's, he has a shot at it. Very similar to what Amart had. You know, he was a little bit further back, but when you look ahead and you don't see anybody that you immediately consider a big threat or someone that like, oh man, I don't know if I can get him. You know, I was hoping he would be behind me and I wouldn't have to deal with him. When you look up and you don't see that scenario, and I, and I think there are only a couple guys for a rider like Hunter Lawrence where that immediate reaction gets put into your head. He looks up and sees guys that he, I'm sure, considers himself at least as good at, as good as or better than. You got to take advantage of that. Kind of the same thing as Amart, as I mentioned. He didn't really get it done. Decent finish, but I felt like he certainly left some uh, some opportunity on the table. And you know, the Supercross thing is new to him. I get it, but he is a great rider. He's a world class rider. He's won you know GPS. He's won motos in the Lucas Oil Pro Motocross Series. And, uh, yeah, he's just got to continue to improve and realize that those opportunities like that don't come along every single main event. You're not going to always get a good start. You're not going to always have your biggest, you know, your biggest competition crash in the second turn, especially when Justin Cooper is such a great starter. So you just have to really make the most of stuff like that. And I'm sure he knows that this is, it's not breaking news for someone at his level. Uh, but just to reinforce that fact, you you just have to make the most of, of days like that, and, and I don't really feel like he did. A couple of the promo codes for some of the sponsors before we get into uh, yeah the meat of this show, which certainly is our power rankings. Uh, I gave away a set of Pirelli tires last week. I need to get those uh, out to gentleman Cody there in Ohio. Hope he enjoys those. Uh, Works Connection, the promo code is JT21. Go check out that Pro Launch Start device. It's getting all those uh, all those guys off to the whole shot every single weekend. Uh, all the factory teams are running it. Guys like Ken Roxon running the Pro Launch Start device, and you see how great their starts are. They're using that for a reason. So use that promo code. Risk Racing. I got to see James first time I ever met him. Actually, the owner of Risk Racing. Saw him on Saturday at Daytona. That was cool. Thanks to uh, thanks to Risk Racing for being on board. Promo code there is JT Dollar Sign at checkout. Save yourself some money. Premier Vapor Blasting, no promo code, but if you just mention the podcast when you get in touch with them, they will give you a 25% discount off of any of their work that they do, all of the uh, the great Vapor Blasting stuff for all your renovation and restoration needs. And I'm sure that's a pretty popular item right now. Speaking of that, there's a vintage race going on at Daytona this weekend, and I'm sure a lot of you vintage racers out there could use some of uh, Premier Vapor Blasting's awesome ideas. 612 suspension, 20% discount. They're a race tech affiliate, so you know you're getting quality parts and service. Mention the podcast. They will take care of 20% off on parts and labor. That's a pretty good deal to get both because think about it. You know, like a lot of places, you may get 20% off parts. They have a lot of margin, but the labor, like it's, that's usually where most people are making all their money. Uh, so I appreciate Ronnie offering up that 20% discount by mentioning the podcast. Pro Glow Wash. Why don't you go to get a wash that is specifically built for power sports? Speaking of Pro Glow Wash, I'm going to be sitting down with uh, Ryan Humphrey pr- from Pro Glow, and we're going to talk about some of the items they have to offer and a little bit of the history of the company and what they're trying to, you know, the message they're trying to get across to you and the, all the, the great things that they can offer to customers out there. And, and I think that's really important in this podcast is to familiarize all of you with these companies. You know, it's not just about a single product. It's about knowing the company. And for me, anytime I buy something from a company, you know, regularly, 
I like to know a little bit about who I'm dealing with. You know, it always makes it a little bit more of a personal experience with me. And I just, I feel better about spending my money if I know who the company is and what they're doing and what they stand for. Just, you know, I don't ever have buyer's remorse at that point. It's just, makes it a much more pleasant purchasing experience. So that's really my goal with all of these companies. And we're going to sit down with uh, ProGlow Wash during that Arlington week where there's three races in that week. Uh, Guts Racing, thanks to uh, Andy and the team for coming on board. Why don't you get yourself a custom seat cover, custom graphics. Pretty cool deal they have going on there. Go to GutsRacing.com. Go to at GutsRacing on Instagram. Check out all the cool things they can offer you, man. If you really want to personalize your bike, you know, getting ready for, if maybe you're up North, maybe you're in the Northeast or the Midwest and it's not warm enough to ride yet. You can really get your bike dialed in, get all your oils and stuff from Blenzol. So you're ready for the season. I saw, uh, the Blenzol crew at, uh, Orlando. That was uh, really nice to catch up with those guys. You know, I listened to the MX vice podcast and they're a sponsor of that. Daniel Blair, they're getting involved all over the sport, which is cool. And it goes back to that point where being familiar with these companies it's certainly going to help your purchasing decision. And you look at how aggressive Blenzol is and all the, all the ways they're trying to support the sport right now. I don't know why you'd want to go anywhere else, but to Blenzol for your oil needs. Fast Foundry. I thought it was a pretty cool interview I did with, uh, with Robert, uh, probably what a month or two ago now. And, uh, he really explained all of the things they can do for your existing business or your startup get automated, get more efficient in these times, you know, stock markets all over the place. I don't know how many of you guys follow that stuff, but it was it's crazy times in the stock market right now. So you want to make sure that you have all of your financial and business situations as dialed in as possible. So you're ready for whatever is coming because depending on who you listen to and depending on who you talk to, it's either going to be the roaring twenties that we're going to go into, or we're about to get the biggest stock market crash in the last, you know, 12 years or whatever. So I don't know who to believe. I don't think that anybody could really tell you exactly what's going to happen, but I can tell you that having all of your ducks in a row financially and having your business in the best shape possible, that is always going to be a plus and probably more important than ever right now. So reach out to fast foundry. You can talk to Robert over there, fastfoundry.com and ask for Robert, as I said, and he will, he can just answer your questions uh, and make sure that you're on the right track and, and see how they can help you. Along that same line, Plum Creek funding, I've been telling you guys for months now that we're in the lowest interest rate environment that America's ever had. And I don't know how much longer this is going to last. You know, I was just talked 30 seconds ago about the way the stock market's asking, acting, and that's a direct derivative of bond yields going up. And as the economy comes back online, you're going to see interest rates start to creep up. Now, the Federal Reserve is they're going to allow they're going to allow inflation to creep up a little bit but at some point it may not be it may not be even 2021 it may be 2022 sometime it could be next week we really don't know but at some point inflation is going to rise to a level and it could be 2 3 4% where the federal reserve is going to have to act and when they do the first thing they're going to do is they're going to implement an interest rate hike and that's going to all these great interest rates that you can go refinance for and you can go buy your home for are going to start to evaporate. When they do that, the stock market is going to take a big hit because all of the money that is in the stock market is going to get rolled into other plays, into buying bonds, into these 30-year treasury notes because it's easy money, right? It's guaranteed easy money 
that they can start to make more money on because the interest rate is starting to go up and they don't have to take big risks in the stock market. Now their returns aren't as high, but they can go park billions of dollars inside these, you know, five, 10, 30 year treasury notes and, and just sit back and watch the money roll in. Now, when the economy gets going, inflation will come. The federal reserve will react by raising the interest rates. As I said, then your value of your home will start to go down a little bit because your you know, the buying power for people is less and higher interest rates, property values go down, even though we have inflation, because your dollar doesn't go as far, your purchasing power isn't quite as good, right? So what, what does all this mean for this podcast and for you? If you have any plans of doing a refi, if you have any plans of buying anything in the next, I'm going to say several years, because I think once rates go up, they're going to stay up. You need to act pretty quickly. And I don't, I don't care. Like I don't, you know, there's no vested interest in this for me, for you to go out and do a refi. I, I just, I do a lot of research on this stuff. I'm really trying to become a better investor and a smarter, uh, just smarter human being when it comes to my finances. This is what's going to happen. It, the writing's on the wall. It, it's just a matter of when it's going to happen. Like these interest rates aren't going to stay down forever. We're going to be back to, you know, 5% mortgages sooner than we know it, right? You can still get it under three right now. But even this week, we started to see it creep back into around three. So you need to act quickly if if that's in the cards. If it's not, no big deal. Who cares, right? Just just ignore all this information. Maybe absorb a little bit of the of the the things that we're telling you that are coming because it can still help you financially. But if you are in the market to buy or do a refinance, if your interest rates, you know, four, five, six, you need to do it quickly because it's not going to last forever. If you are in the market for that, please reach out to Plum Creek Funding, Zach Morris, seven two zero. 212-4685 and just ask him. He knows much more about this than I do. I've been trying to learn as fast as I possibly can, but we are going to see these rates creep up. And then all of this, this great opportunity that if you, if you go research all the refinancing that went on in 2020, it's like the, the most in the history of America went on in 2020 because of the opportunity to get a lower rate. These, these opportunities don't come along very often, you know, and if we do get into a I don't think it's going to happen. You know, from all my reading, listening to Jerome Powell, listening to the Federal Reserve chairman across the country, I don't think we're going to get into this hyperinflation situation, it's called. But if we do, interest rates could skyrocket. And then you wouldn't be able to buy anything, you know, you wouldn't want to for years. You know, if you go back to the 1980s, we were at, we had a hyperinflation situation. Mortgage rates were anywhere from 10 to 20%. It's insane. Think about buying a house I don't know, an average house. So let's say $300,000. Okay. That's, that could be expensive or that could be really cheap depending on your income and where you live. Let's say $300,000 price of a house. Could you imagine paying anywhere from, you know, 30 to 50 to 60,000 a year in interest? You can't, it's impossible. You can't afford it. Most people could never even dream of affording paying that much interest. That's not even principal. That's just the interest that you'd be paying every single year on a house in a hyperinflation situation. So long story short, I guess it's a long story long at this point, just ask questions and see what you can possibly do about your, your refi situation. Reach out to Zach and see what's up. 
Also want to thank Grandstone Boots. I got myself a brand new pair of boots last week. Got to wear them right before I went to uh, Daytona. Love all the Grandstone products. They have belts, wallets, but obviously, you know, shoes and boots are where they make their, their name in the industry. And uh, go to grandstoneboot.com and at Grandstone Boots on Instagram and see all the great products they have. They have some pretty cool, uh, like, B-grade stuff there, too. Stuff that just didn't come out right. The leather didn't exactly, uh, you know, the the leather isn't exactly to the quality that they consider to be top-notch. They have this B-grade stuff, too, that's a really great deal. Because a guy like me, I look at it, and I'm like, I can't even tell there's anything wrong with it. Like, it's, it's like the nicest pair of boots I've ever seen. But for an expert, they look at it, and they're like, yeah, it just has this little imperfection, and this maybe this tiny bit of discoloration on this part or whatever. So they have to sell it as B grade, but some great buying opportunities there too, to get a great discount on an otherwise fantastic product. So just something I noticed uh, on their website that maybe you should check out. So I want to thank all the sponsors for being a part of this podcast. Of course, uh, couldn't do it without you guys and uh, appreciate all you guys listening through them. Now let's get on to the power ranking. Now I had a tough time. I did these on the flight on the way home this morning And I made a decision that moving forward, if you don't race the race the night before, right? If you didn't race Daytona, you're out. You are not going to be in the power ranking because using the rule, you have to be in it to win it. Then you shouldn't be allowed to be in the power rank because you're not even racing, right? A kindergartner could beat you on a motorcycle if you're injured, because if you have a broken arm, you can't even ride. And anyone that could ride a motorcycle could beat you. So there's no way you should possibly be in the power ranking. Now that's a silly way to put it, but that was really my rationale is that you can't possibly make an argument to be in the power ranking if you're not even healthy enough to be in the race. So having said all that, number 10, Chase Sexton, he's back. And if you want to see something uh, interesting, go check out his Instagram, see him jump that, that uh, wall double in very stew-esque fashion. You know, that's his riding coach now, so it totally makes sense. But he overjumps the double, bounces off, bounces his face off the handlebars uh, in the face of that tabletop, breaks a couple teeth. And uh, I didn't even know that he was really injured, and I probably wouldn't have put him on my fantasy team. But he was able to gut out an, an eighth. Uh, he was actually up there. I, I thought he was going to make a run at it, but you could just tell he's a little rusty still and still had onto an eighth. But I'm sure he wasn't thrilled with that. You know, he kind of got dropped by the the top guys. So I have him at 10th. I think he's going to move his way up. You could argue that, how do you have him at 10th, man? He's only raced, he's only finished one race. It's more of an indication of where I think he's going and the speed I think he has, you know, coming off an injury, his first, you know, real race of the year, pretty much to get eighth. Uh, it's pretty solid. And I think he's just going to get better from here. So nice ride from him. And, uh, Again, with Sexton, I kind of think sky's the limit with him. You know, he's got some learning to do, but when once he does, look out. Number nine, I have Jason Anderson. And kind of a quiet night for Anderson, right? He really didn't make any noise throughout the day or the night. And he had really been coming on. You know, he'd just gotten better and better as of late. And I don't necessarily uh, kind of associate Jason Anderson with Daytona. So it makes sense that he wouldn't have the best finish ever. But it was just kind of a quiet night, and and I didn't even, to be honest, I really didn't even notice him out there. But uh, from his rides as of late, he still deserves to be in this top 10 for sure. Number eight was Dylan Ferrandis, and man, what could have been again for Ferrandis? He is riding incredibly well, but he 
he continues to put himself in bad situations. He's getting caught up in crashes. He's just having problems that are really just put you know, keeping him out of any sort of top five finish. He fought back this weekend. Uh, what do you get back to 11th? I think again. So that's two 11ths in a row coming from the back and he's going to break out here. Eventually he's going to be up in the mix for the race lead. You're going to be like, Holy crap. Where did Ferrandez come from? Well, just remember, I'm telling you right now it's coming. You know, if the riding is really good at some point, it's going to show up. It's just a matter of time. He's fighting through some, you know, turbulence that's going on similarly to what Zach Osborne and Marvin Muscan went through at the beginning of the season. If you continue to ride well, it will show up. So just, uh, just keep watching for Ferrandis. He's going to get a start and he's going to make it happen here sooner than later. Number seven was man. One of the stories of the night, which was Aaron Plessinger Plessinger. I don't know how you pronounce his damn name, but you know, I, I had a friend of mine who was very close to the situation reach out to me on Friday and say, Hey, keep your eye on, on AP. He's been ripping all week practicing. And you know, if we get some rain, that's certainly going to help him. And of course it didn't rain, but he likes Daytona. And I think he's going to have a breakout ride here. And I kind of was like, yeah, 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 yeah. I get a lot of texts like that. Like watch for this guy, watch for that guy. He's, this guy's flying this week. You just hear that all the time. You you just have to kind of brush it off most of the time. Well, this guy was right. And he's close enough to it that he should know. Um, But I didn't really take it to heart. And I should have, because what an incredible performance by Plessinger, Plessinger, whatever. You know, you could say, man, you really let that get away from you. How do you let Webb pass you on the last straightaway? But I don't really care. I look at the big picture. You know, AP hasn't even been a factor in this series. He really hasn't even been around. You know, he's just trying to get near the top five, was just trying to get in the top 10 for a while. So to see him chasing down Tomac at one point, to try to get into the race lead, that's a whole different level. So good for AP. We need more guys at the front of the 450 class. I want more variance and more variety and just complete unpredictability. And having AP up there certainly adds that. So nothing bad to say. He is, you know, he's one of the more personable guys in the class. He, he is, uh, he's unique, man. He got a mullet and a mustache and all kinds of crazy stuff going on there. And he, he speaks his mind he doesn't get caught up in all the pressure. Uh, so good for him. Good for uh, Monster Star Yamaha to uh, to have these finishes going. And that's already two Monster Star Yamahas inside the top, what, eight. And we still have certainly one more to go. That's going to be number six. So eight, seven, and six are all Monster Star Yamaha riders. Mookie, I had him up higher than this at first. When I was first putting this list together and I had to move him back a little bit, just because on an overall series, you know, big picture look, I, I just think this is where he belongs to be right now. He he had a great Daytona. I was very, very impressed by him. He, he was fast. He was fit. There was no fading. He had more speed than I've seen him have as of late. And I, I liked everything I saw from Mookie at Daytona. Great job from him. I don't have anything negative to say about Mookie's Daytona performance. He's at six. And I just hope he can build on it from here because I think he's one of those personalities and a character in the series that really, it just breathes life into it. People are drawn to Mookie. He has a a huge fan base. Of course, being James Stewart's little brother doesn't hurt. 
Uh, but I just think he has an exciting riding style that people kind of flock to and, and the sport is better when Mookie's at his best. So good for him. Number five, Justin Barsha and kind of a quiet night for Barsha, right? This number five spot is not based on his Daytona ride at all. It's just based on where he belongs in the series and, and kind of his body of work in this 2021 series. I don't really even have much to say about Barsha's Daytona. He didn't jump off the page really at any time, any point. He was just kind of an also ran. And that's okay. There are going to be nights like that. Uh, but it, it just wasn't any sort of highlight type night for Barsha. Marvin Muscan at four. And <laughs> even worse than that, he, he had a DNF. And the only reason I have him at four is because he was so far up in the mix before that he had some sort of rear brake or shifter problem, something I, I just heard rumors, something was wrong with the motorcycle and he was forced to DNF. But before that he was, he was in the battle to maybe get on the podium, certainly in that top five conversation. And I just like everything I've seen from Marvin's riding lately. He got second at Orlando too. So he was coming off a podium was in the mix for another podium. And I, I just think the way he's riding right now in the form he's on, he just deserves to be in that number four spot. So we'll see uh, what the rest of the season brings for marvelous Marvin Muscan. Number three, Eli Tomac. He got it done. That's five Daytona wins for Tomac. He is in rare air. The only person, other person with five is Ricky Carmichael. You could say maybe he should have six. You know, that, that race that Brayton won. Brayton won at fair and square, but man, Tomac was coming like a freight train in that one. So you think about it, he almost had six Daytona wins and he already has five. Just an incredible ride, incredible performance on top of four other incredible Daytona performances. So good for Tomac. He crawled himself back into this series a little bit. Now the question I have is, was this just Daytona or will this carry into Arlington? And that's really where this series is going to be decided. If he can't back that up at Arlington, it's over. And I'm really willing to say that now. You know, if he has a an even mediocre three-race Arlington stretch, it's done. I don't think he'll crawl himself back from that. But if he can find a way to steal a win or two in Arlington and make, you know, this points situation down into the teens or maybe even better, with five rounds to go, he's got a shot. Because I think when we go to Salt Lake, he's going to be the man to beat. You go to altitude, he gets all those good feelings and good vibes he had from last, you know, June. I think that will carry over. It's just going to be, is he close enough leaving the three Atlanta rounds for it to matter? So keep your eye on Tomac. A lot of people counted him out going into Daytona. I was probably in that same realm too. And it's probably still the prudent call to make to say this is over for him. But he's back into those 20 range. You know, anything is possible. You get some help, you get a, a bad finish by, you know, the the two championship rivals, and maybe there's a crack of sunlight in there somewhere. So we'll see. I'm still a little bit pessimistic on his championship chances, but that's what happens when you're down, you know, 25 points or whatever the number is. So we'll just see what happens with Tomac, but that should not deter from how great his ride was. Uh, he really was in control the whole way. Got You know, he got out front on the first lap and... You could say that AP was real in a minute one point, but I don't think Tomac was really that concerned. I think Tomac pretty much had the race in hand at all times. And, you know, once you get a lead when you're Tomac there and you've won this race four previous times, 
you just become a race manager. You don't have to run away. The track was really tricky. You could see how many, you know, big crashes there were throughout the night for both classes really, but more the two fifties, you could tell the track would, could jump up and bite you at any time, especially the, those sand sections. So I don't think he was taking really any unnecessary chances. He was just marking the guys behind him. And if they would catch him, he would pick up his effort level a little bit and just hold the lead. That's really all you have to do in that situation. So I think he had that race and, and probably could have put more time into those guys if he really needed to. Number two, and I, I went back and forth on this. I really couldn't make my mind up. In the end, I just went off of the points. Just let the points tell me who should be where. And I have Cooper Webb at number two. I could certainly understand anyone wanting to argue that Webb should be one. I, I totally get it. The points lead is, is down to two. You know, it's anybody's series at this point. So if, if you just want to put your foot down and say Webb should be one, okay, I'm good with it. But on my list, I'm going to have Roxon at number one until they take that red plate away from him. So Cooper Webb at two, great ride from him. I was a little disappointed that he couldn't really match, you know, Plessinger's pace there in the middle of the race. I think that Webb is a little better than that, and he's so crafty. I just expected him to be able to counter AP's speed and be able to fight back. And, and really, AP was able to gap him, you know, and, and he let Roxon catch up to him. But to Cooper Webb's credit, he was able to fight back at the end, which he always does. He, he figures the racetrack out. He relies on his fitness. He relies on, you know, his mental fortitude to fight and crawl his way back into this thing. And then, oh, what do you know? He's able to pull off a miraculous pass on AP on the last straightaway. Those are big points right there, right? Because he would have made up two points on Roxon by beating him. Instead, he knocks that up to four. That, that's big. Like, that's a big deal. Those are pretty big swings when you're talking about, you know, we're, what, nine or ten races into this series and the, the lead is this tight. You know, you need every point you could possibly get. And making a pass on the last straightaway – when everybody's kind of given up, I, I don't think that many people thought he had a chance to make a pass there, and, and yet he still gets it done. The guy is just such a master of the last couple of laps and his approach and the mental aspect, and I think the fitness side for him plays into it too. He just hits his stride late in these races, and if you are anywhere near him, if he can even see you, you're in big trouble. And AP, I think you know he got a little complacent and let – himself fall back into those guys. Because I think if he keeps his urgency up a little bit, let's say not the last lap, but let's say three laps before that, if he pushes really hard, then I don't think that Webb gets excited, right? And, and you go into that last couple laps and Webb can see you right in front of him or even a few seconds, it gives him that carrot to go chase. And then you're in big trouble because Webb is, as I mentioned, so good at that. But if Plessinger could have stayed two seconds ahead of that, three seconds ahead of that, I don't think that Webb gets that charge of adrenaline and it's like, oh, I can get him. Like there's an opportunity here. He's more resigned to the fact that like, okay, I let AP get out too far, but I got to make sure that I stay ahead of rocks and I just need to worry about rocks. And so his focus shifts a little bit, if that makes sense, instead of thinking forward, he just thinks back. And that's just, I think a little bit of inexperience in the 450 class with AP. Also, you know, AP hasn't really run at the front in this 450 class yet either. So there's probably a little bit of that. And then, I mean, that's probably the hardest he's ever ridden trying to catch Tomac and, and ride away from Webb. So maybe he was just feeling that a little bit too. Um, but I, more of the story is, is, you know, Webb finding a way to claw those, 
those points back on the last straightaway. Now, number one, I have Ken Roxon and, you know, there's a lot of controversy after the race, you know, Webb pushed him out in the second turn. And I was talking with my buddies about, you know, wrong, right, you know, inappropriate, appropriate, what, whatever, right. What was the, is it cool to do that? Would you have done it? And everybody has a different opinion, which is totally fine. We know that Ken Roxon didn't like it. He didn't think it was the right thing to do. And to give you my analysis of it, when I look at it, I see those two going through the first turn together, right? They're out front and they are controlling the first couple of corners and they, you know, Webb could choose to go inside, outside, whatever. Now Webb even said, he said, I saw Roxon, I saw an opportunity to push him out and I took it. And I give, I give Cooper a lot of credit there because he could have, he could have dodged it. He could have sidestepped the question and said, Oh yeah, I just, you know, I, I needed, I had to go to the outside because momentum pushed me out there. And Kenny happened to be on my outside. That would be an easy way to sidestep the question. But he didn't do that. He took it head on and just said, no, I had a chance to push Kenny out of the berm. And yeah, I'm going to do that. Like we're in a championship battle. I'm not going to pass up an opportunity to push Kenny out if I have it. Well, Kenny obviously knows that he did that. I, you know, I, it, as soon as I saw it, I knew that that's exactly what happened. Um, you know, you could see Webb feel rocks on his right. He could kind of see the front fender there too. And he's like, no, I'm just going to make sure you don't get a good start here and take you all the way to the berm. It worked to perfection. You know, it went from Kenny being top three to Kenny being, you know, 10th or whatever it was. And then Roxon's just clawing his way and fighting his way through traffic the entire race. Roxon was clearly pissed after the race because from Roxon's perspective, you go through that first turn and you're there together. All Webb has to do is dive to the inside rut in that corner for the second corner and you come out with the lead, right? You go, you have the lead on the first lap. It's all yours, right? When I'm on your outside, there's nothing I can do about it. And I'm, and I'm speaking in the first person as Ken Roxon. When you're to my inside as Cooper Webb, just go to the inside, take the rut. Like you got the lead, go let's, like, let's go. Like, let's race forward. Let's get the hell out of here and try to beat Tomac and try to go win. We'll, we'll battle this out for the win later but let's get out of this traffic and all this chaos of the first, first couple turns where things can go really poorly for us. Like, let's get out of here. Well, Webb didn't do that. Webb forced Roxon into all that, all that noise and static. And that was on purpose. And I think that's what Kenny was most pissed about is that Cooper purposely caused that to happen to Roxon instead of just racing forward, instead of, instead of Cooper Webb worrying about his own race, he went out of his way to make sure that Ken Roxon was going to have a tough race. And, you know, everybody's entitled, entitled to their opinion of that. It wasn't really my style. I, I was, I just wasn't into that. Like if I got a good start, I was going to try to get the hell out of Dodge. Like I was going to go to that inside, get the lead and, and let's go. Like if anybody's faster than me and, and can beat me, good luck to you. But if I get the lead and I get the whole shot, I'm going to try to go. I don't care what anybody behind me is doing. So I think that's Kenny's mindset. Usually you don't really see Kenny jacking with people so much. And I think we're very similar when I was racing, we're similar in that approach. Kenny kind of worries about himself and he's only get, he, he just wants to go race forward and do his thing. And Cooper didn't do that. And, and I would struggle with the same thing. I would have probably yelled at someone too. If you know, that was a last chance qualifier. We we're racing in Europe somewhere where I felt like I could win. Someone did that to me. I would have been pissed too. And I would have said the same things that Roxon did. So I can certainly uh, empathize with that and, and put myself in Kenny's shoes. You know, some of my other friends 
felt like they would have done exactly what Cooper did. And that, you know, that's, that's racing. Like, I don't, I don't have any problem with it. It's everybody's different approach and you, you feel what's right and what's not right and how to approach the same situation, right? Perspective is an interesting thing like that because you can have different people look at the same situation and judge it and analyze it completely differently. And you know, that's, that's bench racing and that's podcasting and all these things. Uh, but just for me, I, it's not a move I would have made, but understanding what web strategy was, I get it. Uh, the thing I respect most about it is that he just owned it. He didn't try to, you know, uh, say it was something different than what it was. He just said, Nope, saw an opportunity to push him out, saw an opportunity to make sure that he didn't, you know, try to get around me and he had to deal with people behind me. And so I took it. That's, that's kudos to him because most people would not do that. So that's our power ranking for this week. And Cooper Webb is dangerously close to overtaking that number one spot in the all important industry seating power rankings. We know that so much of the sport hinges on this, this podcast and these industry, uh, these, uh, industry seating power rankings, right? Lots of sarcasm in there. Thanks for listening this week. A little longer, what, 48 minutes already. So Lots to cover. We will be in Arlington for a week starting on Thursday. When I say we, that's uh, the royal we. I don't know why I'm speaking in uh, third person or second. Is that second person? I don't know. I should know that. But uh, I will be flying over there on Thursday. I'll be there till the following, uh, a week from the following Sunday. So, you know, 10 day trip or whatever. And uh, looking forward to seeing my Texas friends. And uh, yeah, that, that race, that stadium's awesome. Weather should be really nice. And, uh, Looking forward to looking forward to a few days at home. Not going to lie, but uh, I'll be ready to head back to Arlington when it's time. Thanks to all the sponsors for being a part of this. Could not do it without you. Um, and, and I want to continue to keep growing this podcast and get all of you uh, supporters out there uh, just more accustomed to dealing with these companies and keep growing this podcast over the years. So thanks again. We'll talk to you next Sunday. See you.